Great to be here with you. Happy 4th. If you're here on campus, welcome. If you're online, welcome. Hope All Campus, uh, great to have you with us. Um, we are starting a new series today called Asking for a Friend, as you picked up, if you're probably looking up at the screen. And it's just a playoff of, you know, sometimes when you ask a question and you don't want someone to know it's your question, you sort of act like you're asking from a friend. But the questions we got came from our small groups. So several months ago, we just sort of asked, you know, what questions are you asking that you would like us to, to tackle this summer? And we, we picked, uh, there were many that came in, we picked several of them. Some we, we put off because we knew we were going to deal with them in future series and so forth. But, but we're, what, we were, what we're hoping to see happen this summer, this is our prayer, you can, you can join in praying with us, is as we hit each of these topics that we'll find that, practically speaking, our theology will become our doxology. Now, what's that mean? Well, as we grow in knowing God, that's theology, as we grow in knowing God, that it will impact our daily living as an act of worship, and that's what doxology means. So we'll put into practice those things that we learn. We don't just want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. And so that's what we're going to be doing, asking for a friend, looking at these issues and sort of tackling them and figuring out what does God want us to do with the answers that we come up with from his word. Of course, today is the 4th of July, and so the topic that we're going to be looking at ties directly into the 4th of July. Uh, one of the topics that came up that we're going to look at in just a minute, um, I have to be honest, when I saw it, I thought, I'm not doing that one. Uh, I, I'm not doing it. And, and I'm, I'm sort of a history buff, and so I started to dig into it, and I thought, I'm really interested in this. And I found that the Sunday today would be the 4th, and I thought, okay, I'm going to do it. It's a topic I've never preached on before. And, and maybe in 20 minutes or so, you'll go, now I know why. We'll see. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. But, but, but we're going to go into it. I'm usually not intimidated uh, when I speak, but, but I'm speaking a little bit about history here. So if you like history, I know you're going to love it. If not, just wait till the last third and you'll like that part. Um, but we have a history teacher here and so, uh, who happens to be a friend of mine. So I'm a little nervous with that. And just correct me uh, like later, not today, uh, if there's anything I'm a little awful. I, I'd appreciate that. But it's the 4th of July. I found this interesting, just as a side note. It wasn't a federal holiday until 1941. I just thought it would have been. But of course, the tradition of celebrating independence dates all the way back to Revolutionary War. July 2nd, 1776, the Continental Congress voted in favor of independence. And then two days later, on July 4th, they adopted the Declaration of Independence. The 13 colonies did. And so what's the question? The question was asked, what was the biblical justification of the American Revolution? What was, yeah, yeah, there you go. Now you're saying, now I know why he never preached on it. What is the biblical justification of the American Revolution? And, and so we're going to dig into it a little bit. Uh, we're going to look at two major points that they got scripturally, but that's why they felt as believers that God was calling them into independence. And so we're, we're going to look at that. But let me just be honest from the, from the outset. What I'm going to do is share, I'm not going to give a biblical defense, I'm going to share the founder's biblical defense. And so if you have a different opinion, welcome to the First Amendment, you can have it. You can have it. Uh, but we're going to use it as a springboard to talk about what they did when they studied Scripture. In other words, biblical hermeneutics. What's biblical hermeneutics? Biblical hermeneutics are the methods we use to properly study and apply God's Word. So the founders went to God's Word to, to determine this. Now, as we'll, as we'll find out that when we look at this, is, is there's a percentage of people who also sought God's word and came up with a different understanding. And so that can happen. In fact, opinions, we all have them. And it's easy to have opinions some 250 years after an event, by the way, which is what we're sort of doing right now, looking at what they came up with and trying to understand their 
particular context as they looked at Scripture. But I want to look at the founders' biblical understanding of the American Revolution and help us, hopefully, be encouraged all the more to get into the Word and study it to enable to apply it to our daily living. It's been estimated that 40 to 45% of Americans supported the American Revolution uh, during the time of the Revolution. Now, by the way, there's different stats you can find all over the place. Um, there, there wasn't a whole lot of polling that took place uh, back in 1776, uh, but, but, but this is one individual's guesstimate. 40 to 45% of Americans supported the American Revolution. 15 to 20% were the loyalists. Of course, you guys know history. You know that they were British colonies, and so they thought, we're British, and why would we have independence from our own people? And about 35 to 45% remained neutral. I found that really interesting. The 35 to 45% said, we'll just wait and see what happens, and we'll go with it. You know, and dare I say, I think that's probably a statistic we would find true even today with any type of movement. But most people sort of sit back and go, we'll just sort of see what happens. They're, they're, they're latecomers to these type of things, and, and that group certainly would be part of that. But I, I share that to say there was a varied amount of opinions. I don't have time to go through all the different opinions. And the question was simply asked, what were the founders' biblical um, perspective of the American Revolution? Why, like, why did they feel independence was the way that God was leading them? When the British authorities' tyrannical behavior began to increase towards the American colonies, it was interesting what happened in the American uh, colonies, in the churches in particular, was a renewed look at government rights and independence. And, and so there was this renewed interest in those topics. In fact, John Adams, a founding father, specifically recommended two theological works, theological works, uh, when people asked uh, sort of the underpinnings of why the founding fathers and the 13 colonies decided to declare independence. The first was a sort of treatise of, uh, of power. It was written in 1556. And the second was a defense of liberty against tyrants written in in 1579. So 200 years be about before the revolution, there were these writings. And so people were asking the question way before, way before the American Revolution, what do you do if, if you're under a tyrant? Now remember, it's easy for us in 2021 to forget that most of the world were under monarchs. And, and so, and the monarchs believed they were literally God's representative on earth, but they could do no wrong. Now, by the way, some of us may think that now. You were not monarchs, but you think that's just simply not not true. And so they were asking these really deep held questions based on numerous historical theological writings. And again, the pulpits in America were even preaching about these topics. It was, it was, the, it was in context of what was going on all around them in the colonies. A lot of the messages really came around this topic of what do you do under, when you're under a tyrannical leader? What do you do? What are your rights? What's, a, what's government? What has God instituted there? And so the founding fathers and others who studied the scriptures who were supportive of our independence had two primary biblical principles that they used when they studied scripture that led them to, to, to declare independence from Great Britain. And the first is this, that most Christians during the founding era believed they were forbidden to overflow the institution of government and live in anarchy, but not required to submit to every law and policy. So they, they, they didn't see independence, meaning we're against government. They believe that God instituted government, but they believed that they studied scripture, but it didn't mean that they were to follow every law. And, and when the colonists sought the scripture to determine this, and looking at how do we relate to tyranny, one of the passages, one of the actual lengthy passages they looked at was Hebrews chapter 11. Now Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we in the church often call the, the faith chapter. 
It's a great sort of biographical sketch of the people of God who have stepped out on faith. And when you read Hebrews chapter 11, you come across individuals such as Gideon, Ehud, Jephthah, Samson, and Deborah. Now, if you use that as sort of the, the guide and go back to the Old Testament and read their stories, one thing all those individuals had in common, well, a few things. One is they were all followers of God. But the second thing is this that they overthrew tyrannical governments, that God raised them up to say, this isn't right, God has a better way. And so when the founders saw that, especially at Hebrews 11.32, it praises them for their faith, their faith in what? Trusting God in the endeavor, what was the endeavor? Throwing off tyranny. And so the founders saw that and said, well, it seems there's a biblical precedent to declare independence, to say that this isn't right. We have to understand historically that in 1776, there was laws on the British books that were being violated by the British government. That the people in the colonies were, were being taken advantage of in ways that were against British law, and when they fought it, they weren't winning the court cases. So throughout the writings of the founders, there's this view that they didn't intend to overthrow the government. That wasn't their intent. They were standing up against tyranny. Well, what's tyranny? That's a good question. Tyranny is defined as the exercise of power over subjects and others with a rigor not authorized by law or justice, are not in alignment with the purpose of government. And so they were looking at the violations that were taking place, and they were able to say, well, this is tyranny, and if it is tyranny, then how do we as believers, how do we react to this? In fact, founder, founding father James Otis, this is what he wrote. He said, the only king who had a divine right was God himself. Beyond that, God had ordained the power should rest with the people. Now, we in 2021, we go, no, duh, right? Like, that seems, that seems, that makes sense. And as Americans, right, that's our concept. We the people. Who's the government? We the people. We elect. And so that makes perfect sense. When they wrote this, there were monarchs all over the place. This was revolutionary, so to speak. He continues, God is the only monarch in the universe who has a clear and indisputable right to absolute power because he's the only one who is omnipotent and omnipotent. In other words, all-knowing and all-powerful. So to give insight into the depth of this, this understanding that we're not, we're not fighting against government, so to speak, but tyranny, I, I found this fascinating. In August 1776, they're trying to figure out what should be our national motto. And the very first motto that was presented, right, is this, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Now, by the way, I'm glad we didn't get that one. Like, that's sort of an interesting motto, but, but, but it shows you where their heart was. It didn't win out, but... But that was the very first one as they worked on when they said, well, that would, that would be what we're doing here. Rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. And, and the interesting thing when I studied this was that exact statement was a summation of a 1750 message that was preached by another founding father, Reverend Dr. John, Jonathan Mayhew. And so they had heard this message, and this message had so impacted who they were that it, it, it it, it, was, it was brought to the forefront of their understanding of, of the revolution, of independence. So the very first principle, biblical principle, they studied scriptures, they, they counseled together, they prayed, was that they're not against government, they were against tyranny. And of course, we, we have another biblical precedent of that when you think about it. Peter and the crew are before the, the Sanhedrin, the ruling authority there in Jerusalem, and they say to Peter and them, the disciples, they say, you are going to be let loose, but you can't preach the gospel anymore. 
Remember the account in Acts? And Peter looks at them and says, that we can't obey. Like we want to obey you, but we have to obey God over man. And this was the situation that the founders believed they found themselves in, this, this, this conflict of, of what the government is saying, but what God has instituted. The second principle is this. Most Christians during the founding era believed that God would not honor an offensive war, but would permit civil self-defense. Civil self-defense. Now think about this. That's a pretty profound statement. Where did they get that? Well, again, they went to the Old Testament. They saw in Nehemiah 4, Zechariah 8, and 2 Samuel 10, where God had instituted this this civil self-defense of his people against tyranny. And the fact that the American Revolution was an act of self-defense and not an act of offense was was really an amazing uh, spiritual confirmation the founders determined of their step for independence. They understood this, that Great Britain had attacked America, not vice versa. You say, what are you talking about? Well, the Americans never fired the first shot. Uh, Not in the Boston Massacre of 7070, not in the bombing of Boston and the burning of Charleston in 1774, not in the attacks on Williamsburg, Concord, or Lexington in 1775. In fact, I found this really interesting in the Battle of Lexington, the commander told the people, do not fire unless you're fired upon. Do not fire unless you're fired upon. It was a common command in the early days of the revolution, and they were fired upon. They had broken no law, but the British had fired upon them, the British soldiers. Therefore, they felt their reaction was justified self-defense. It's difficult when you're talking about this time in history about British and American because the Americans, most of them were British. (laughs) And so there's this interesting dichotomy that's happening there when you're looking at these things. But but this was what they were wrestling with. What do we do? What do we do? We're part of this, this empire, but, but we're not being treated the way that, that the law says we should be treated. We're under, we're under tyranny. And so they decided, well, civil self-defense. According to the founders' understanding of the civil self-defense, that's why they believed they could approach God and pray for his blessing. They felt that if they had attacked, if they had been sort of the first one to cause blood, that, that, that they wouldn't be able to seek his, his guidance and wisdom, but they wouldn't be in the right. And forgive me for reading this, but, but I don't want to get this wrong. Um, it's, it's significant to note that Americans had been militarily attacked for well over two years before they finally announced the separation. For 11 years preceding that announcement, from 1765 to 1776, they had diligently pursued reconciliation and not conflict, offering documents such as their famous appeal of 1775 and of the May 1776 Olive Branch Petition, each of which submitted in a completely a conciliatory tone. In other words, they, they wanted to reconcile. That's, that's, what they, that's what they were seeking. Now, by the way, one of the reasons I, I took this topic, besides being the fourth, is because I believe as a nation we're losing our history. I, I don't think that history is, is something that we grasp. Now, understand this. I know I'm in a minority of loving history. Uh, I, I do. I do. So that was sort of my trepidation of sharing a message where I'm reading so much history because I thought, well, over half of the statistics are right are not going to be interested in, in the whole two-thirds of the message. But as I prayed, I thought, I really don't care because we need to hear it. This may surprise you, but when I pray about what to preach, I don't pray what they want to hear. I pray what God wants to say. So that's sort of the way it is. And so, well, yeah, thank you for the four of you and now the rest. Okay, great. That's great. Thank God for peer pressure. But uh, but I I just, I I just something we need to wrestle with and understand where we come from. And at least I, I think it's easy for us, again, 250 years later, 
to forget the context in which our, our founders were praying and looking at scripture. It's easy with a 2021 mindset and understanding that we have and the way that the world has changed to forget what they were dealing with. And so I think this is important for us to understand that. I had a friend from Canada once ask me the question. They said, why is it that it seems like um, in most churches in America that, the, uh, but there's, that politics and faith seem to be a little crossed over more than it should be? And by the way, I actually think that's probably true sometimes. Like my, my goal is not to be a politician, it's to be a pastor. So, so I do know that there are some who wish I'd be a whole lot more quote unquote political, but I believe if I'm biblical, that the biblical teachings I teach will, will apply to our politics. Follow what I'm saying there? But I said to him, I said, you do have to understand that the root of our independence comes from faith. People prayed and sought the word of God, and you see it over and over again in the founders. And, and so they weren't very separable. Matter of fact, remember I said that first motto that was presented was taken from a message. And, and so there's something unique, if you will, about our culture when it comes to our, our independence that, that's unique to even some other countries because that's not the way theirs came about. And, and so it's something to keep in mind when we talk about sometimes how it's so hard for us to maybe understand that God wants our faith to impact, influence our politics, but certainly never wants the politics to influence our faith. Okay, I'm, I think I said that right. Okay, so, so, so where were the founders? Well, based, they, 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 they declared independence based on these two theological understandings. Again, that government was ordained by God, and so they weren't trying to abolish government. They were trying to find a government that would, that would honor the Lord. And then secondly, that God had explicitly authorized civil self-defense. They didn't see themselves as the, as the aggressors. They saw themselves as those who were defending. And so the founding fathers and, and most Americans who were going to take a side uh, fell into that camp. Now, again, you may have your own opinion. And the ironic thing, it's because of the founders' declaration of independence, you can have it here. You can have your opinion, I can have my opinion. It's really, in some ways, what allows us as a nation to have iron sharpened iron, is that we can come together with our opinions and explore God's word together and determine what truth is. And so I just love that. I hope we never lose that as a country where we can actually speak our mind and be able to even speak it. I will fight for your right to say things I don't even believe are true because I believe I don't want to lose my right to speak for things I believe are true. Okay? And so this, you go, well, that sounds political. No, no, no whatever. It's the 4th of July. Give me, give me a break. Uh, but, 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 but the biblical justification was theirs. And you may not agree with it, but here's where we're going to turn in the message. It's, it's, it's really not important that we put ourselves, it's happened. It happened in 1776. The, the, the Americans won. We have a country. Okay? So if you don't know that, uh, welcome to 2021. Uh, and we celebrate our freedom today. But what I learned most and what encourages me in 2021 is, I need to be in the word. Like you may not agree with the decision they came up with biblically, but you can't argue the fact of what they did to try to come up with that answer. They explored God's word. And I believe that the challenge that we maybe are getting more than ever in 2021 as followers of Jesus Christ is where are you getting truth? Is it from God's word? Your definition of love, is it from God's word? Your way to care for your neighbor, is it from God's word? Is it the way, you re, the way we react to those who don't think the way we want them to think? Let's just be honest. Is it the way God would do it as he teaches us in his word? Now, for many, many years, people have tried to figure out how do we, what, what can we use as a guide 
in order to approach God's word and make decisions. Because many decisions we make on a daily basis aren't explicit in God's word. Like what restaurant to go to. I wish it was sometimes in our family, but it's not. You know, do I need to serve this way in my community or do I serve this way? There's principles in scripture, but there's a way we can approach God's word to get an answer to, to direct us through the principles of the teachings of the Lord. And some have used what's been known as, has become known as John Wesley's quadrilateral. Maybe you've heard of that. The interesting thing is John Wesley didn't have a quadrilateral. Like he didn't have a, he never taught John Wesley's quadrilateral. Uh, a Methodist came up with it later, looking at the writings of Wesley. You know who Wesley is? He was a preacher. Our denomination gets our name from Wesley, uh, which he, by the way, probably wouldn't have liked. But, but he probably wouldn't even like if there was some, such a thing called a John Wesley quadrilateral. He would simply say there's a biblical quadrilateral. And so the Methodist pastor looked back and gave his name on it because he wanted to give credit to the person who taught a, a, quite a bit about this. And so he taught there's four things we can do in order to determine whether something's biblical, whether God's leading us in a certain direction. And the first is this. What does the Bible say? That seems simple, doesn't it? But if you look at the stats, nearly half the church in America don't read their Bibles. Now, I don't believe that's true here at Crosswinds. At least I hope not. If it is, don't tell me right now. But, but, but I hope not, right? But, but when you're looking at the American, so here's the question. How do you know what the Bible says if you're not reading the Bible? We've we got to be in the Word. We've we got to be studying it. You can't apply what you're not studying. In fact, I've said often, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God we know, not the Word of God we don't know to direct us in our life. That's why when someone will ask me, they'll say, you know, Craig, what do you think I should do here? I say, well, what, what's the Bible sort of pointing you toward? Because here, here's the reality. You don't want my opinion. You want God's truth, right? Not my opinion, God's truth. In fact, uh, got to watch, I'm going on a tangent here, but I feel like I sort of am anyway, so let's just go for it. Um, one of my least favorite questions in Bible study, like if in a, I, I didn't want to say this, but I said it last service, so, so you're going to feel the pain too. Uh, and I didn't want to say it because if we're in a Bible study, you're going to look at me. I, I cringe inwardly when this, if this question is ever asked. What does this verse mean to you? It sounds like a good question, but it's a horrible question. I don't care what the verse means to you, and you shouldn't care what the verse means to me. You say, what do you mean? Well, see, I've lived long enough where if I just take a verse and want to make it mean what I want it to mean to me, I can. In fact, I had a friend in high school. I said, how are you studying the scripture? I was trying to learn how to study the scripture. He said, well, I, every morning I just get up, and I open it up, and I point to a verse, and I read that verse, and I, that's my verse of the day. Now, I had read enough of Scripture that I said, well, don't you ever hit a verse that's a little weird to be the verse of the day? Have you ever spent time in the Old Testament? Like, there's some verses you could hit on, you would go, what do I do with that verse? Or, or, God forbid, don't do that verse, right? I mean, you know, there's verses, yeah. And so I, I, didn't, quite, I didn't quite get that, and so I went to one of my leaders, and they, they talked to me about context. Context is king when we're studying Scripture. So the question isn't, what do I, what's it say to me? The question is, what's it there for? What, what did God intend? And then the best question we can ask is, how do I apply that to my life? I had a lady come into my office many years ago now when I was, just became a lead pastor, and she said, God's given me this great opportunity to start sharing his word with people. Can you help me? I said, what do you need help with? And, and her question was basically the question I had back in high school. How do I study scripture? How do I make sure when I'm sharing something it's God's truth and not sort of my perspective? And so I gave her what I call my cheat sheet. It's like 12 hermeneutical rules that help go through the word. They're not very difficult. Context is king. Look at repetition. 
when you come across the word therefore, you ask the question, you probably know it, right? What is it? Therefore. It was just a simple list. And she looked at it and she said, that's way too complicated. I can't do that. And left my office and I prayed. And I said, Lord, please either make her willing to do the work or please close the opportunities for her to share. The last thing we need is, is more wacky theology out there. Right? That's, that's a biblical word, wacky. Wacky theology out there. We want to be people of the word. And the second question is this. What is the church... What has the church through 2,000 years said? Now, why is that important? Let me tell you how I put a message together, okay? I study a passage, and I do what I call my donkey work. Like, I break it down, use the hermeneutic rules. I come down, I put the main points together. And then when I'm done, I go to something called a commentary. Now, the commentary has been written by theologians throughout, throughout the church's history. Why do I do that? Because if I, in 2021, come up with a new truth that no one else in the history of Christianity has ever seen in a particular verse, I'm wrong. Now, that doesn't mean there's not different perspectives of different verses, and there's different camps and those type of things, but I want to be in a, in a solid camp. Does that make sense? Come on, church. Come on, help me out here. We want to get to our 4th of July celebration at some point, right? But, but, but we want to make sure. So we, we, want to, we want to look and see the church tradition and make sure that we're, we're in alignment with what the, the, the teaching has been for, for thousands of years to a certain extent. Now there's different, okay. Does it make reasonable sense? Is it proven out in human experience? You say, what are you talking about? Well, a mentor of mine, Keith Jury, he was a professor of mine in undergrad. He understood that the Wesleyan quadrilateral can be a little difficult to navigate. And so he used this baseball illustration, but I think really brings it home to us, so to speak. No pun intended. Actually, totally pun intended. Will you at least say thank you? I did my best. Thank you. Chris got it. The rest of you will catch up at lunch. Okay. It's going to first base, starting with the Bible, then rounding second base by examining what the church has taught. That's orthodoxy. That's what orthodoxy is. Running to third base, which is reason and experience, and then I love this then taking it to home plate, back to the Bible and making a decision. We start with Scripture and we end with Scripture. Start with Scripture, end with Scripture. And by the way, and we do it prayerfully. The Spirit of God illuminates His Word for us. And so when I approach God's Word as a believer, I simply ask, Lord God, open my eyes to your truth. Help me stand aside. Because we all come to the Word with our own perspectives and wants and desires. And, and sometimes we can do what's called eisegesis. That's putting ourselves into the verse to try to make it be what we want it to be. And what we want is exegesis, where, where, the, where the word of God speaks into us and makes us what we ought to be in Jesus. I, I think what 2021, what God's calling the American church to do is get back to his word and be the people that God's called us to be. Loving God with everything that we have and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Loving them with truth, by the way, but loving them. Let me share this verse with you. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Paul's writing his young protege, Timothy, a young pastor. And he's basically saying, if you want to know what to do, go to the word. Like, like, if you want to know how to be a Christian leader, this is a great leadership book. If you want to, if you want to tell, talk to people about their families, this is a great book on, on families. If you, if you, 
the Bible gives us principles to live our daily life. And he says, go, because, because that's where the real doctrine is. That's where the true Christian teaching is. And you can correct false doctrine through it. And you can reprove immorality. And you can, you can talk about righteousness and freedom and power and, 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 and the ability to live together and with diverse people and yet one people under God. You realize when everything's undone, there's only one race in humanity. It's the human race. It's God's race. He created us. And that the scripture can be the great unifier if and only if we see it for what it is and not what we want it to be. Because the church has been at its worst when it's tried to make the word say something they want it to say instead of believing it to be the word that says what God has intended it to say. And it's God breathed, which means he uses the, each of the writers to write in their unique style and giftings, but he, he, he gives them the, the inspiration to write it. It's God breathed. It's living and active. It's his word to us. People ask me, do you hear from God? I said, every day. They go, every day you hear from God? Yeah, every time I open up God's word, he's speaking to me. Every time. You want to hear from God, open his word. Open his word. And pray that the spirit illuminates that truth to you. See, here's the reality this morning. July 4th, 2021. You might not totally agree with the biblical conclusion of our nation's founders came up with. But you can't deny, you can't deny the importance of what they did in exploring God's word. That's the lesson for us. Perhaps more than anything else we can take from this study, the importance of studying and applying God's word properly. But God's called us all to be rooted, to be rooted in his word, to know his word. And as you've heard me say many times, as I seek to master his word, that his very word will master me. If left on my own, my walk with Christ is going to be pretty lousy. There's enough of me that gets in the way every day if I don't surrender to God. I'm just being honest with you. But when I surrender to him, and by the way, it's not just a daily decision. Some days, it's, it's multiple, multiple decisions. Ever have one of those days? I like getting my way until I get it. Come on, church. I like getting God's way when I'm surrendered and see the blessings of walking with him. God is so good at being God. And I believe our nation needs a revival. I do. But I believe a revival will only come to this nation if the church in this nation will have a, a, an awakening, a renewal of a love for God's word. People around us need to see a genuine witness for Jesus. We're not perfect, but we're being perfected, right, church? And for the sake of those outside the walls of this building, outside the walls of wherever you're viewing this service, and for our very own sake, won't we commit ourselves this morning to say, make me a person of your word, living in truth and love, truth and love. For his glory. Now, by the way, if you haven't yet received Christ as Lord and Savior, that's the first step. The Spirit of God illuminates the Word of God to those in which he indwells, which are followers of Jesus. And that's a decision awaits. As I pray, maybe, maybe this morning, maybe that's your next step. But whatever your next step is, won't you take it on this 4th of July? Won't you mark your freedom? Won't you mark your freedom 
was saying, I'm going to take my freedom as a nation, national freedom, but more importantly, your spiritual freedom. I'm going to take my freedom and focus it this next year of just getting in God's word and allowing him to guide my steps. That's my commitment. Maybe you'll join it with me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for just the privilege of gathering here this morning. I I pray every day uh, for the persecuted church all across this world, and I'm reminded every time I lift up believers in in other countries what what an amazing freedom we have to come and worship you and, and to be able to study your word and to do it protected by even our laws, uh, where much is given, much is expected. So, Father God, I just pray, particularly as a believer who happens to be American, that with the freedom that you've given me here, that, that I would allow it to ignite my spiritual freedom all the more. But I wouldn't be ashamed of your word, but that I would literally dig into your word and allow it to, to direct my steps. But, Lord God, people who may not believe in you, and if they don't believe in you, they don't believe in the authority of your word, but they can be impacted by your impact in my life by your word. And if we're living for you, if we're allowing that that Christ-likeness to be formed in us every day, Lord God, what an attraction that is to the world around us. I I think of your high police prayer where you said, by the love they have for one another, they'll know why I came. What what an interesting witness that that as we're in your word and learning what it means to love you with everything and, and love others, our neighbor as ourselves, but that kind of love gives testimony to your coming, to your desire that everyone would be in relationship with you. And so, Father God, I just pray if there's someone in this room today or, or, or is listening online to Hope Hope Campus, wherever they find themselves, Lord, in the sound of my voice. But if you've yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, maybe, maybe right now is their time. And in the quietness of their heart, they would simply say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins and being resurrected for my salvation. I want to do life with you as Savior and Lord of my life. Lead me and guide me. And oh, Father God, for those of us who made that decision, maybe just now, maybe days, weeks, months, years ago, may we be found as a people who are falling deeper in love with you, deeper in love with those around us, living by your truth, understanding that the loving thing to do for the culture around us is is to live out that truth, to, to be an example, to stand for that truth. And to show them that even if they're not followers of yours, that we can, just, we can love them. We can love them. I love the passage where, in Romans where it says that when we were still enemies of Christ, he died for us. That the biblical example isn't that we clean ourselves up, that we make ourselves right, then come to Jesus. But we come to Jesus just as we are. And when we receive him, he saves us and he transforms us. Father God, may we as believers understand that but more than craving that the world would act the way we want them to act, that we would crave in the deepest parts of who we are that they would come to know you as a loving, saving God, and that in knowing you, that you would transform society in the way you want it to be. Oh God, thank you for calling us. Thank you for directing us. Thank you for the blessing of your word. Thank you for the many generations, spiritually and political or however else you want to say it, who have paid such prices, ultimate prices, that we could be here today knowing you, loving you, and serving you. In Jesus' name, amen.